We're speaking with an expert today on equitable production of produce. How can we produce food in a way that is fair, socially just, beneficial for communities, and also environmentally sound, all at the same time? In this case, it's about avocados. Avocados, making production equitable and environmentally sound. That is our topic here today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. As agriculture and food is all of our most direct connection to the natural world and the health of our environment directly impacting our own health and well-being, it is imperative that we continue to explore and push the boundaries of overall sustainable food production. We're speaking with an expert who has spent her entire professional career to continue this very conversation. Avocados, making production equitable and environmentally sound. That's our example and that is our topic. All that and more coming up in just a minute here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm your host, Helga Helberg, and this show is made possible by Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And by Adderley, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg, and we are speaking with the president of Equal Exchange Produce today. It's a 100% fair trade fruit importer, and the president is Nicole Vitello. She has spent the last 10 years with Equal Exchange Produce, inspired by the economic model of trading directly with small farmers internationally. She is proud to be part of that model in fresh produce by promoting the connection between small farmers in Latin America and consumers in the United States. And Nicole is joining us today from Boston, Massachusetts. Nicole, do we have you on the line? Yes. Thank you for being part of the show again. You were a guest and we wanted to have you back now after a few months, almost a year, to give us another update from your work in the fields. But I, I wanted to start with that definition in your biography that you are proud to be part of that model in fresh produce by promoting the connection between small farmers in Latin America in this case, in this example, um, on avocados uh, and consumers in the United States. It's such a important connection 
I said in my intro, environment, the well-being and the health of the environment directly affecting us, the health of the food directly affecting us. It is our daily connection that we all have with the natural world. And so in your case, you're doing this with small farmers in Latin America, but it's such an important piece between what is grown and us consuming it, eating it, so often broken that link. What does Equal Exchange exactly do in that? Well, I think as you so well said, we're trying to basically forge that connection between small farmers and eaters, consumers, people who shop for food by, you know, there's a lot of products we can now get locally. Uh, people are much more connected to local farms and farmers markets. But what about products like bananas or avocados or coffee or tea? You know, those are still sort of mysterious supply chains. And I think people often lose sight about the fact that those are grown by people and not people that we're often in any close contact with. So that's what we try to do here is provide that same link and that same connection that you might get to a local farmer by trying to connect people and just portray the information about each other's lives. And we're talking about eco-labels regularly here on the show. Um, you know, what, what is out there, what can be trusted, what is really not created by the industry to kind of mask a problem or, or to promote something that's not quite true. And then these really grassroots organizations that have come up from sustainable building design to, in this case, food, eco-exchange. All the products that you offer are organic and they're always 100% fair trade. Is that correct? Yes, and I think it is true that there is a dizzying array of certifications and labels <laughs> and symbols out there for the consumer to yes. navigate, you know, and I think they were, you know, initially designed to try to protect or inform us, and now we've just become overwhelmed, and they're sort of ceasing to have the same meaning. So, you know, I always try to do the common sense test with a lot of these things, and for us, the, uh, the fair trade certification is something that the producers um, adhere to, they have a whole system of reporting and rules and regulations that govern how they both farm organically and then also trade, treat their workers, treat the environment in terms of their fair trade certification. And I think what we try to explain to people is just um, our model is based on small farmers who own their own land and who also organize in order to create volume for export. So small farmers are often cut out of the supply chain because they simply don't have enough volume or means to export and, you know, to pack and to have, say, there's 40,000 pounds of something in a shipping container. And that's a lot for a small farmer to pack weekly. So it kind of promotes the cooperative approach where people own a business together, they collectively certify and collectively market and collectively sell. And so that kind of inspires some integrity between us. If we're all running a business together, we're far more likely to self-certify in that sense. You know, I want to make sure you're my neighbor, that you're growing organically, and we're marketing together and vice versa. So there's sort of some common sense gut checks in all of this, which I think helps the consumer to understand beyond just a label mm -hmm. or a symbol, the actual model behind what we do and why we feel it's important and why I think it actually works for the environment, for small farmers, and for communities in which they live and own land and work. Yeah, and often this, those two aspects, the educational piece, is so often separated from the real hands-on trade partnerships that some organizations stand for. In your case, with Equal Exchange, you do both. You are the real importer. You're, you have contracts with these Latin American farmers on different crops. In this case, we're talking about avocados, and you just visited to get a, an idea on the ground and work with them and establish those relationships and foster them. But you are the direct importer, the trade partner, and you also have a big arm of Equal Exchange about education and bringing that knowledge to the consumer to understand our food system to a greater depth. Correct. And I think that that's what both informs our educational message is that we're taking risk alongside the farmers and we're talking about the work that we're doing every day. So I think that adds a level of sometimes complexity to the messaging. Um, you know, it's not quite a jingle And yet it's not like an academic, you know, piece on how to trade fairly. You know, it's sort of somewhere in the middle where we're often speaking from our own experiences. And you're right. I was able to be in Michoacan, Mexico a couple months ago meeting with producers 
I was able to meet with the board of directors and the general manager of the co-op that we buy from in Mexico. And it's great for them to be able to ask me questions directly about the market and for us to look collectively at our numbers year to year and compare what our goals were, how we did, how was pricing, how was margin. I mean, I think that it's interesting because a lot of farmer groups that we deal with, some of them have very high education levels, some of them have less. Um, I think you find similarly in the United States, some farmers who have MBAs and some who come up in a family business. But ultimately, I have always found farmers to be some of the smartest business people I know because they're doing a lot with very little and they're taking a tremendous amount of risk in the supply chain. And so I think feeling part of something bigger than just the agricultural side of things is really a huge development Mm -hmm. tool. And you're bringing up a very good point, the business part. There's beautiful, beautiful work being done by thousands, tens of thousands of nonprofits around the world, and it's critical work. What I really like about Equal Exchange is that you are a business. It's a working model, and for many, many, many years now, not just a model anymore, uh, even though in its approach it's a model program, but it's a real business, and because you you walk the talk, uh, your business itself, Equal Exchange, is worker-owned, right? Everyone who works at Equal Exchange has a stake um, in the success. It's basically just like a, a startup. You own shares of Equal Exchange's excellence in the work of creating equitable food systems. Correct. Yes, Equal Exchange is a worker-owned co-op, and I think that that you know that was uh, an important aspect of the business from the beginning. The company was founded that way and has continued to grow that way. I believe now we're 150 worker owners. Wow. Um, and yeah, Equal Exchange is doing sales somewhere around 60 million. So it really shows that a cooperative business does not have to suffer in scale. You know, it's a scalable right. model. Or rely think, on, on grants from foundations only or, you know, whatever. Correct. And, you know, and I think that that's a place where we probably have to draw the line, right? Like we're not... We can't go and, you know, find new producer groups and organize them and get them up to speed to export. Or I guess we could, but that's one of our our limitations. That's not, we're not in the development racket mm-hmm. or the development field, let me say. But what we are in is um, is the cooperative business model. So I think, as you've said, you know, we are organic and fair trade, but we're also a co-op and we... Um, and we buy from small farmer co-ops, and we often sell to a lot of consumer food co-ops. And I think that when you're all living with the same set of values, which are difficult in this day and age in sort of a cutthroat grocery industry that's based on low margins and high volume and eking every penny out of the supply chain, cooperative business models are not always the most efficient, but they are, in my opinion, more sustainable. And I think the more that farmers own their land, own their businesses, they have maybe a, a better sense of their environmental consequences. And I think as we examine what it means to own a business collectively and cooperatively and trade with others, <laughs> you know, we're all kind of working sure. under the same set of standards. And I think it makes for more clarity in your business dealings. Yeah, and efficiency, we could have a whole show on efficiency. Uh, it's it Really, efficiency is entirely only measurable or defined by where you stop counting. You know, if we look at the Amazon model or Amazon buying Whole Foods and uh, efficiency in the supply chain, at one point there's carbon costs, there's global warming, you know, CO2 emissions, uh, local communities that you support, but uh, Amazon can't or doesn't. So it's, you know, it's, it's really how big are we, are we looking at the entire picture to understand our impact and what we are leaving out, which are costs that are there. I mean, if, if communities around the world suffer because we have a totally mechanized food system, that might sound like a really good way of getting really cheap food. But there is no cheap food. There is no cheap food system uh, at one no, point. No, you're very, very true. And, and it's almost like we've just exported the cost to a lot of, yes, of these, these products, you know, like yes. bananas with aerial spraying and a highly chemical environment, avocados with deforestation, you know, and cutting down massive growths of old growth pine trees to plant new avocado farms. You know, there's so much of that that people don't get to see, you know. And so that is part of what we try to do and, and not just sort of be a bummer about it, but say, like, there's an alternative. 
right? And maybe paying, you know, a little bit more for this product if you know what it's going to support is, uh, is a better way to get people involved in their food choices than just assuming that they're going to go for the lowest common denominator and don't understand some of those costs. Yeah, and I like that you're bringing up the uh, clear-cutting the deforestation in regard to avocados because avocados have become such a well-loved crop. There's, you know, There was kale five years ago, and the last couple of years, it's all about avocados. And we're speaking with Earl Herrick, who you're working with here in the widest Bay Area in San Francisco as your wholesale distributor of the Equal Exchange Produce. Uh, and, and he's, of course, a partner in our show. But he says that um, avocados have seen a popularity unheard of before in decades. And so every single crop can be grown sustainably or not. There's always a non-sustainable side of production, whether it's beef or bananas or avocados in this case. And I don't think the education has caught up with what the issues of, we're still kind of in the palm tree, palm oil uh, mindset. Avocados can create a pretty significant ecological impact if they're not grown right. Your farmers being organic and sustainable and fair trade We're talking small farms completely embedded within the local ecology and local economy, even uh, small communities producing absolutely as close to the natural setting their crops. Is that a, a fair picture? Yes, it is. And I mean, Michoacan is a, such a beautiful place and actually one of the you know prime places in the world to grow avocados. And some of it has to do with You know, it's mountainous, so you have some altitude, so you get some difference between daytime and nighttime temperatures, which helps the fruit nice. and the oil. Mm -hmm. You also have this amazing volcanic soil that's just geologically where Michoacan is and the volcano that used to exist there. And so you have that, you have these pine forests, which also provide a perfect micro climate for avocados. Um, it's also, you know, the place where monarch butterflies go. Um, it's just a, it's really a lovely place. And avocados have been part of the local agriculture and, and food culture there for many years. And the export economy is part of the reason we have such an avocado craze here in the United States. Because, you know, I remember both growing up and even like 10 years ago, you know, most avocados you bought as an East Coaster, most of the avocados we bought were really bad. You know, they were half rotten. They were not tasty. They were, and you always thought like you just didn't know how to pick it out, right? But sure. ultimately, yeah. <laughs> they were all bad. You know, it was just a victim of the supply chain itself. And, and both the supply chain from Mexico and just everything about the avocado industry, Mexico has done an amazing job of growing Their industry, the, the Michoacan economy, is mostly made up of small farmers. But I think we've also seen incredibly high-priced avocados this fall, and that was, you know, a function of California having short supply, Mexico also having some short supply, yes. and crazy pricing. Let's talk about that after the break. Dive into that a little bit more, and your visit that you just returned from, from that growing area, your impression on the ground and really some stories from the farmers there. Avocados is our topic, but really making production equitable and environmentally sound in this ongoing conversation of how do we create and continue to create a more sustainable food system. We are speaking with Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce, 100% fair trade fruit importer. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Nicole. We'll take a quick break to honor our underwriters and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. This show is brought to you by Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot -E com. 
And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Our guest today is Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce. Equal Exchange is a 100% fair trade fruit importer that you might have seen as a sticker on produce. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Important to look for that because it's a model that is creating a more sustainable food system by promoting the connection between small farmers in Latin America and consumers in the United States. Nicole is joining us today from Boston, Massachusetts. Nicole, before the break, we were just diving into your trip to Mexico. It's part of your work that you actually are not just a partner, but you are a friend. You are going to farms to hear from them, to learn from them, to bring information about the marketplace here in the United States back to Mexico to help and support their their growing methods and practices and uh, market efforts. Tell us about it. What did you find? Where is avocado production in Mexico at, at small farmers? Is it a good story? Are people hopeful? Do they make a living? How does it impact their communities? What have you seen? Yeah, I had an opportunity to visit with all different levels of the supply chain when I was there. Part of it was meeting with the board of directors, general manager, and the staff um, who do most of the logistics work, price setting, supply chain management, projections, all of those aspects of running a business as well as the certifications. Mm -hmm. So that was a great experience. Um, I also got to visit the uh, pack house where all the product is graded, sorted, put into boxes. It's highly mechanized, super interesting. Um, and that's always great to sort of see that end of the supply chain. And I was also able to visit farms and see the trees. And this was in August. So it was right. Production usually starts maybe in September and then is pretty heavy October through March for the Mexican season. And then, um, you know, you sort of have some seasons that taper off a little bit, uh, March through May or June. And typically that's when you start to see other, you know, products come in from Peru or California or other sources. Producers talking to me about some issues with the climate change that you're starting to see everywhere. And these issues that are coming up for small producers that are challenging, you know, so they've had hail in certain regions that they haven't had before, and they've had other climactic conditions that have become more extreme. So too much rain, not enough rain, hail and freezing temperatures in places where the climate is usually much more temperate. And so, you know, they talked about that and what that does to supply. And as we know, with less supply, you get higher prices. As a small farmer and as a larger exporter or importer, you're basically constantly weighing out those factors, right? How much fruit do you have to sell? How much can you sell it for? How long-term can that pricing hold? And those are all really big challenges. Um, avocados are a crazy roller coaster in terms of pricing in the market. The more that farmers can hear about that, the better. And, and just to add to that, it's so interesting. When you see high prices... You would you would think the market dynamic, which is entirely true, uh, less supply, high demand, meaning high prices. The farmer, on the other hand, will not make any more money than he would with with more supply, uh, because he simply has less to sell. So this is really just to compensate for a smaller crop, and he still has to make the same amount of money, roughly, from his land in order to make a living. So it's really it's really more a consequence rather than. Uh, an idea that we can charge more, right? It's directly Correct. determined, Correct. And determined, then, and dictated. And that fine line, right, between how does pricing is super dynamic. And so yes. that's really a lot of the work that we do here is trying to give them fair market information about what the market will do and how they can sell, right? So I right. think as we all know sort of the basics of economics, as you just laid them out, are you have less product to sell, so you want to sell us one container which is 40,000 pounds or 1,625 pound boxes of avocados once a week for a higher price. If you want to sell us two at a lower price, we can probably sell them at a lower price. But you, you're sort of constantly gambling back and forth. 
And there isn't great market information there. It's often dated and it's difficult for producers to really take ownership of that. And there's you not know, much margin. There's not much margin for them either, right? Correct. And there might be at a higher price, but then the next week if they can't sell any product, it's constantly, it's yeah. an agricultural product, so it's not going to keep indefinitely, right? <laughs> so you're sort of gambling, or not gambling so much as managing yes. supply, demand, pricing, cost, and they're, they have to take the risk, which often isn't the case if they're selling to a larger exporter. They're kind of just sure. a raw materials provider. It gets mixed in with all this other product and off it goes. And they don't take risk, but they don't learn much um, under those conditions either. Yes. Since we are talking about small communities and they all depend on and in a, in a way work together to create some kind of economic prosperity for them and maybe education opportunities for their children. And it, this is really as community-based in the in the best sense of the word as possible. What other efforts have you seen on your visit, both environmentally as well as economically, that farmers there work on to support their, their orchards, but also to support their economic base? Well, yes, I, I did. And, and actually, it was uh, a super interesting and, and inspiring project for me uh, to see hands-on, because we had heard about it from the co-op in the past, but I had never seen it, it actually running. And so we went to a couple of orchards, and the co-op has started a female-run and owned business, and it's all around beekeeping. And oh. so these orchards are organic. I think we've all heard, and I'm sure you've had a lot of awareness to your listeners on your show about, you know, the environmental effects of chemicals um, on bees on the the global bee yes. population. And so avocados are pollinated by bees. And if the less pollination, the less fruit, again, a lot of the women are related to members of the co-op. Um, they're either wives of avocado farmers or their daughters or nieces or sure. other relations. And so instead of it sort of being this side project, it actually is a separate business. And the women have gotten training in basically the, the art of beekeeping. They build the supplies themselves, the bee boxes. Uh, they've brought in queens. I think there were some Italian queens and some Russian queens, and they've bred them to be more adapted to the local climate. And they're selling the queens to other people that are keeping bees. They've started this project on a number. There's 22 farms that are involved, and they've started it on a smaller number. And it was so cool. I got to, you know, we had dressed up and all the beekeeping equipment. Um, as you can see, I'm sort of a high-strung <laughs> person, so I'm not exactly, you know, I was a little nervous that the bees would freak out my energy there, but they were very calm. And the women were so excited to tell me about what they were doing and so knowledgeable and so there was just a lot of solidarity. You know, they all ride in the same truck. They go from farm to farm. It's their business. Again, it was their excitement and their ownership of this thing that was their own and their ability to contribute to their community and the health of their farms that was super inspiring. Um, nice. And I was glad to see it firsthand. We have some funny pictures. I'll have to send you some. Oh, yeah. please. Yes. And we'll we'll put that up on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. Always supporting our podcast and radio show uh, for you, our listeners, with images. If you like, again, facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. I think bees know if you're a good person and have a loving heart or not. So I'm not surprised that they stayed calm with you. But what I love about your description of that picture, a women-owned business pollinating the world, I mean, the, the metaphorical and the practical, really, application of that statement um, or meaning of that statement of uh, po pollinating the world for to create a better, more robust environment and world for all of us. It's just so classic. Yes, I, I wish <laughs> this was all a little bit more women-run or inspired by feminine universal energies. In this case, actually, it is environmental because of the need for populating these trees, or pollinating these trees, rather, and also economical, right? Don't they sell the honey as well as a product? Correct. And they're also selling the queens and, you know, learning a lot about because they're better adapted to the local climate and hardier. And that's what, you know, for years of both myself being an organic farmer, working with a lot of organic farmers, like that's always the part that I've loved about <laughs> of organic farming. It's just like that connection, that curiosity, 
that sort of wherewithal to do a lot with very little um, and to be truly connected to the place that you are and find solutions that work for your community, where you, where you exist, working with your neighbors, making fertilizers and other things out of local ingredients. Like that sustainability is, is definitely an ethos and a mindset. And it's not just like using an organic fertilizer or an organic spray. It's like it's really being a little more nimble and frugal and clever uh, to make these changes and to live in the way that you want to live. And that's what I saw with that project. And I see that a lot with um, producers that we work with either in bananas or avocados. It's just it's a resiliency that gives me hope um, with all the things that are going on in the world economically, environmentally, and socially. Um, you know, it, it, it's part of yes. why what keeps me fueled to keep doing this work. Yeah, and it's almost, for, for me, it feels like a direction. You either support life, you foster life, your, your attention is toward life, to building life, and it, it affects every layer and every level of community and health and personal health and environmental sustainability and everything. It's either towards life or it is away from life. And there's very little gray zone, if any, that I've seen. So it's really a, a decision in all of us. Are we, are we, you know, supporting life in all its forms and then harvest all the levels of benefits that come with that, that we don't even see the ripple effects of, or are we moving away from life? And, um, yes, we, we, of course, are hoping here with an organic conversation to foster that awareness and, and create that decision. And that gets us right to the consumer. And we're almost out of time. But I do want to talk about how the consumer can find you and support this important work of Equal Exchange. We are talking with Nicole Vitello. She's the president of Equal Exchange Produce a worker-owned cooperative working with small farmers in Latin America to bridge the gap to consumers, both with products as well as education consumers here in the United States in this week's show uh, on the example of avocados, making production equitable and environmentally sound. Let's, let's finish this conversation you call for now at least with that question how what products does equal exchange overall offer and how can people find you in the in the marketplace in the store well i think the great part about the equal exchange model is that we've also been just as deliberate as we are about where we source our products from um, we really have had a great number of partnerships over the years with independent retailers family owned businesses food cooperatives um, and it's really an opportunity for us to work with them and, and offer them products that you can't find in every store. And I think just as on this show, you're trying to highlight aspects of the organic industry that we all aspire to. For me, uh, economically, that's one of the benefits of this. So you'll often find our products in your local store, your health food store, your natural food store, mm -hmm. your local co-op. That's very much in the vein of, of how we run our business and trying to give people opportunities to shop in places that are more in line with our values. Some stores do a really good job in, you know, having education on the on the display directly or posters or educational information to point to equal exchanges produce. But if not, what would the consumer look for? So you'll often see, yeah, like a little we have these little shelf talkers that will have like equal exchange avocados, small farmer grown. We've got our equal exchange sticker and then the fair trade sticker. Um, which is another indicator that there's some third-party audit behind those products. So I'd love for people to get equal exchange products wherever they can. Um, I think fair trade is another great choice uh, where you can find it. And then I think just having a relationship with your store and your produce manager and talking to them. I mean, people often talk about their local products or some of their dietary issues or restrictions that they're looking to learn more about food as a healthy medicine. And I think that that's a great place to start. I mean, produce managers are really smart. They're very committed to what they're trying to source every day. They're under tremendous conditions to get fresh, awesome products to people at good prices. And I think that they're a great resource for asking some of these questions or learning more about any of the new products that are out in the marketplace. Cool. And the, the produce you're talking about, Equal Exchange, is avocados and bananas. What other products does Equal Exchange offer? Yeah, so Equal has coffee, tea, and chocolate, cocoa, um, nuts and dried fruits, 
Um, everything we try to stick to as much of a, a whole food as possible, um, meaning the coffee beans we roast here, uh, the tea we import directly from farmers and package, the chocolate bars and cocoa. I mean, things are hopefully minimally processed. Yeah, always a direct connection to the farmers that we buy from. So it's really uh, there is a whole range of products, and Equals had a long 30-year history in fair trade. And so the produce is relatively new, but the coffee's always been the heart and soul of, of who we are. And that's a great small farmer supply chain, and it is delicious coffee. And will we see that, that honey produced directly integrated as well soon, or is that a product? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. That's a great idea, Helga. That's a new trip to Mexico, I think. And I should absolutely come with you next time. Absolutely. We need support on that. Thank you so much, Nicole, for everything you do, for your passion for this. I said in the beginning, you have been with Equal Exchange since 2008. That's 10 years of passion put into creating a new and different kind of working model as a, not as a nonprofit, but as a worker-owned cooperative that's Equal Exchange. And Nicole Vitello is the president. Have some wonderful holiday weeks. Thank you for doing that work. Thank you for that update directly from the ground. Wonderful to have you always, and we'll have you back soon. Great. It was a pleasure talking to you, Hogan. Happy holidays to everyone. You too. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's avocados, making production equitable and environmentally sound. And we're staying with the topic of avocados and other crops. The update, the consumer segment from the produce dock of what is happening right now in the grocery store, in the retail aisles of the produce department. As we are in the holiday season, Lots to look out for, maybe avoid some super high prices by buying early. The consumer segment of how to navigate the produce department here is what's in season. And with me now is the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic, Mr. Earl Herrick, Earl, are you there? <laughs> Hello, Helga. Hi. I am here. We are now between the holidays. It's a super yeah. busy time for you, maybe the busiest time of the year. Some things are yes. clearly no longer there, but new crops have come in. I've had some amazing produce items. Uh, we have a, a new crop of avocados. There's satsumas, the first. What is, what's on your list yeah. of things that are really peaking right now? Yeah, I did want to touch base on a little bit of of the timing of Thanksgiving and where we are. And it, it's an odd time because mostly the season is over <laughs> in any local vicinity that you have, yes. whether in Chicago or Roanoke, uh, Virginia, or, or San Francisco. The season's pretty much over. Out here, we're blessed that obviously we have an extended season. But even then, the challenge is try to get local beans. You, you, you try to get some of these products and the grower, you know, sets up their planting and their harvesting to try to get that last hit. Uh, you know, specifically um, beans. Beans is, is an incredibly popular item. Everybody wants it on their table. And the demand every year totally outstrips the supply. Mm -hmm. And so what we have here in San Francisco, we have a local grower out in the valley. Then we have uh, down in SoCal, down in the desert, and then you have Mexican. And then I think some people even try to grab some from Florida. And everybody is focused on that, not just the end user, but the grower. They want to hit that because, first of all, the demand is so great, you can charge a fair amount of money and get it. So it's a guaranteed high market, if you will. And again, this year, like almost every year, the local deal, you get a couple good beans and they fail because of the weather, mm -hmm. uh, the rains hit, the, the nights are short. Uh, but luckily, we had great product from Mexico. So even though not everybody got everything they wanted, this year was one of those, these years that everybody got at least enough. And we found that in a couple products, beans being one of them, Brussels sprouts is another, which in the last couple of years has is, is taken a big step in, I guess, being accepted again as a viable item on your, on your plate. One of the things that's been disappointing has been Satsumas. We were hit with some untimely rains, even though it was 
you know, last year we had a lot more rain by this time. It is still above normal, and the intervals have been such that it rains, doesn't rain for a couple of days, it rains, doesn't rain for a couple of days, and it's very hard to go in and try and harvest under those conditions. And also the fruit suffers by being continually rained on. So when you rain on ripe fruit, it damages it. It, it soaks it. It, it creates uh, skin, skin blemishes, but way beyond blemishes, it just soaks the product. So you may have already been experiencing some satsumas. You get them home, they look fine. You get them out of your refrigerator or off your counter in a day or two, and they're starting to mold. That is the result of coming out of wet, wet weather. Uh-huh. There's really not much you can do about it. Yes, what what has been really amazing are um, persimmons. I had maybe some ah, of the, yeah. the best persimmons, even the really crunchy ones still, where you would feel them and the they feel you. like they need they need like four more days. They they still eat sweetly already. You know, they're best after they get a couple cold nights. And that's what we've gotten. You know, we got that in the middle of November. We got a couple cold nights there that really kind of set that sugar, if you will, on the fuyu mm. persimmon. And that's what you were experiencing. They are so wonderful, you know, like in a nice seasonal salad, maybe with some pomegranate seeds and some chicory and maybe even some walnuts and apple. It, it creates a great fall uh, fall salad. Yeah, it's and they, my they, favorite. My mind too, and the, the color reminds me so of exactly oh. the color of the sun right now. It is this kind of golden, you know, yellow rich. Uh, yep. fruit and and yet when you look at the outside uh, light at 4:30 or so it's exactly that it's kind of a beautiful mirror it, of bringing it, well, that sunlight onto your plate well yeah and and you know with the sun down lower in the horizon and it kind of jets across your periphery uh you know the horizon it it, it creates, creates this wonderful wonderful um glistening mm. The, if you've never seen a persimmon tree in the fall when it changes colors, you yeah. are really missing out. <laughs> it will rival any maple. It is just a beautiful, on fire, wonderful creature. It's, it's just beautiful. I, I have one in my backyard, and it's just it's so striking. Um, all the leaves are gone now, but boy, a couple of weeks ago it was just truly, truly outstanding. Yeah, and you have a uh, hachia, actually, persimmon tree um, around the corner in your neighborhood, and I always love to drive by. Yes. It looks like ornaments, <laughs> right? I mean, the entire tree is yes. off leaves, but there are these 200 uh, persimmons hanging really like Christmas ornaments. It couldn't be any more beautiful, and you know you can exactly. eat, eat them all. It's just ridiculous. The abundance is beautiful. You know, and there's, there's a couple <laughs> people that are, uh, you know, creative enough. They put... Uh, They put lights on those trees, oh, nice. and uh, it's just spectacular how they. Uh, <laughs> it just does what I love this time of year for that. How's you know, the How's um, the pricing on items right now? If people should should people yeah. buy early, or what should they look for? Maybe freeze things yeah, yeah. for Christmas. Like well, what's the? Well, the, the you know right around Thanksgiving is an interesting time because everybody knows it's going to be a big feast. Everybody's buying food, so some prices go up. But at the same time, the retailer is trying to get your business, so they run some very nice seasonal specials. Mm. So you kind of get the the best of both worlds. And so it's a really good time to shop is right after Thanksgiving, right about where we are now. Because, for example, broccoli and cauliflower, that, those are two items that are in high demand in, in the season, but almost invariably, as we have this year, it gets oversupplied. Mm -hmm. So at the last moment, if you will, the uh, er, the prices drop because you have an oversupply. So this is a great time to enjoy some of the brassicas in that way. Nice. Also, there's always deals on what is referred to as cello potatoes, where you get little five-pound bags with potatoes, and the potatoes are fine. They're generally a little bit smaller, and you get really good bargains. So there's definitely a couple items to look for, uh, kind of almost Black Friday, uh, but though obviously we're past that. But it's that same sort of interim time where you're kind of on the other side of the celebration, so now you're kind of rewarded with some quote-unquote bargains. There was something else I wanted to talk about. Yeah, like sweet potatoes is an interesting example. That's something you can probably find some uh, after-holiday sale. And one of the interesting things about it, it's one of those items we've seen a big spike 
in the con- consumption because it's proven to be, it's advertised now, not unlike blueberries, if you will, as a superfood. Very high nutritionally. Uh, it's, it's been a lot written about it. And it's definitely in, in high demand for certain uh, diets that are out there. So I think sweet potatoes, is, well, yeah, sweet potatoes are a good item to be cashing in on. Nice. Um, one of the other items we were tight on, which is true every year, is mushrooms. You can never get enough mushrooms, and because there's really there's always a limit, and so the production doesn't go up much, but the demand does. So the supply can never can never keep uh, keep up with the the demand. And you were saying a few shows back when we talked about mushrooms, it has very little to do with weather because most yeah. even organic mushrooms are now grown commercially, meaning indoors or outdoors, but um, they are farmed, right? They're not just wild harvested. You might find those at the farmer's market, but most mushrooms you see or any mushroom you see in the retail store, even organic, are are farmed at this point. Is that right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. So unless there's some real failure, like there's a real deep freeze that came unexpectedly, everything's very organized and and taken care of. So you're never really going to get a failure there. What you run into this time of year, the great demand that rises, the supply gets challenged, and then you're on the other side of the holiday. And so there's anything that's overpurchased, there'll be a little bit of a there'll be a bit of a sale, an opportunity to buy cheap. So onions and potatoes are probably a couple of items that you can store up on a bit <clears throat> and buy ahead at this point. Um, also, cranberries. A lot of people still use them around Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's another item you may want to you buy or and or if you enjoy them year-round, you can freeze cranberries and then you'll have them all year-round because this is the only time they're going to be around in October, November, December. Yeah, and we're coming from a year of exceptional prices. So if you cook especially for a larger family, uh, it does make quite a bit of difference to watch out for prices, get some deals, get smaller potatoes. Yeah. If you make mashed potatoes, it won't matter. And I had some amazing yeah. organic fingerlings, yeah. which were yours, and oh. uh, yeah. really beautiful, uh, easy to cook, cooking actually quicker because they were so small, and wow, the flavor, just amazing. So yeah, good yeah. to watch out for that. Wonderful. Yes. Well, um, we want to yeah. have you back again next week uh, with another update. Uh, I think we might be talking with Christy about avocados yeah. then, because mm-hmm. we had a great yep. show today with uh, Nicole uh, Vitello from Equal Exchange about avocado production. So we'll tie that back in. But um, thanks for that update and happy holidays yep. to you. And we'll speak with you again soon. Thank you, Helga. Yeah, everybody enjoy these holidays. We have a, a whole another month to go. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Enjoy. Take care. Talk soon. Yes. Thanks, Helga. Bye. Bye now. Wonderful work all around. And that wraps up a full hour of speaking about food systems here on an organic conversations from every angle possible i'm helga helberg your host and we'll be back with another episode next week thanks so much for listening And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. And Utterly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Every garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. 
Also, Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family-owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. Lastly, thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at anorganicconversation and on Twitter at Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.